Sunday as well, which is super fantastic because today's my mother's birthday. Uh, happy birthday, Mom. I didn't get her anything. I'm a bad son. But uh, hopefully it'll be a good message and she'll forgive me because she's a fantastic mother. So yeah, I said, absolutely, I would love to preach this weekend. And so then he gives me the information, the, uh, the sermon series, and we see, as you've already seen, it's the winning series. We have these nice little cutouts behind us kind of representing every week. So one of the first things I noticed, you may have already noticed, is that first week, what did Dion preach on? The, the secrets to attraction. Right, right. How, do you, how are you very attractive? So I look and see, well, what am I preaching on? I'm preaching on, you're still alive, you know, the, the secret to long life. I'm thinking, is there some kind of message here? And Dion says, no, no, that's just how it fell out. Don't, don't read too much into it. And I said, well, if it's not uh, sequential, then we could do any week, right? We could mix it around if we wanted. He said, no, I think you're just gifted, really, for this particular <laughs> week. No, I made that up. I made that up completely. He didn't say that. He didn't say that at all, and now I'm really being bad. Instead, let me change back and say that I'm not, I'm not regretting at all this week because long life is something that we all long for, right? Whether we're super attractive or not attractive, everybody wants long life. I think, you know, proof of that would just be the health food industry all by itself. Nobody is choking down organic oats and all the other nonsense that we do unless we want to live long. I mean, that's, that alone, I think, is evidence. I ate at Mulligan's uh, last night, and while there are perfectly good waffle fries available, I had broccoli. The only reason that I could possibly explain that, I don't even like vegetables, but I'd like to have a long life as well. And this is nothing new. Uh, Gulliver's Travels, written by Jonathan Swift, probably a lot of you have uh, heard of that. It's been made into movies and TV shows and all kinds of things like that. You know about the Lilliputians, and there's another island that nobody can ever pronounce. It has a giant people. But Gulliver made uh, journeys to other islands as well. And one of the islands that he visited was inhabited by people who had uh, eternal life. They were immortal, but they didn't have eternal youth. So they just kept growing older and older and older and older. And for those of us who started to actually experience that, you can imagine that death starts to not look so bad when you're a thousand years old, you know, and you just keep on getting more and more decrepit all the time. And so this element of eternal youth... You know, you don't just want to live long, but you want to be young as long as possible, I think, started to creep into our mentality. You know, Ponce de Leon was looking for the fountain of youth, right? Looked for it in, where did he look for it? Florida. Think about that. This is a height of irony if you think about what Florida is all about now. But he's looking in the ultimate retirement community for the, uh, the fountain of youth. Something that we looked for in the past and... It's something that we're going to continue to look for in the future. If, uh, if you take a peek at this guy behind me, who is this? Spock. Now, this, this always cracks me up because, well, there's a certain uh, a group of folks who are sci-fi geeks. I'm kind of one myself. I mean, within that, there are Star Trek geeks. And so we look at these things and we say, not just do I know the answer, but how much of what I know can I reveal without giving myself away, right, as, a, as the geek that I am? So... Spock, that's, you know, if I pretend like I don't know him, then everybody knows that I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm uh, being dis dishonest. So I can't say, oh, yeah, that's Spock. That's from episode 34 where he, had to, he went through Ponfar and had to fight Captain Kirk to the death. That's too much, right? I'm not asking you that, though. Spock, you identified him. And let me ask you also, how does he greet everybody? He does a Vulcan hand thing, and then he says, 
Live long and prosper. See, everybody knows that. We're all safe to admit that much. Live long and prosper. So according to Gene Roddenberry, even in the future, at least some alien races, are still concerned with long life. And on top of that, not just eternal youth, apparently uh, Spock wasn't concerned about that, even though he seemed to stay, long, stay young for a long time, concerned with prosperity. So not just living long, but also we want to be prosperous. Now, some of you may uh, be thinking, well, I'm not sure that I do want to live long. You know, all the kindergarten kids are thinking, ah, Chris is, what, 55 now? You know, that's, that's pretty old. In fact, I think I would prefer to, what's the phrase, to burn out than to fade away. You know, that's kind of this uh, rock and roll legend, right? It's better to burn out than it is to fade away. Well, I have news for you. This man, Neil Young, wrote that. Does it look like he has burned out? Well, he does look like he's burned out, but he hasn't faded away. He's still around, he's still alive, and he's still kicking. So even though he said that, maybe he meant that's true for someone else. You know, you can, it's better if you burn out than fade away, but I'm going to just keep on keeping on doing the same thing that I've always done. Another man, Keith Richards, really seemed to take his advice, you know, to do everything he could to burn out. But then he discovered <laughs> through uh, modern science, apparently, all I have to do is get all of my blood transfused in Switzerland, and then I can just keep on doing the things that I've been doing. You all have that then. So he didn't choose not to grow old, right? Instead, he chooses to keep on doing what he's been doing, have long life, sort of have his cake and eat it too. There's so many different ways to look at this long life. You know, one of the ways that I like to to think of this, uh, out of curiosity, how many of you have read Catch-22, the novel, Catch-22? Oh, so very few hands. This used to be required reading. You know, St. John has a very uh, extensive database, and it shows not only who you are, but for most of you, where and when you went to high school and to college. So you can be expecting a call from your English teachers, <laughs> right, this week. So pay attention, and I'll get you through this. You'll say, oh, no, I read it. It's about, uh, it's about a bomber squadron in Italy, World War II. It's, it's very chaotic. It, it's even told in disjointed time sequence. And one of the things that I really love about it, there's a character named Dunbar, And his perspective, he says that they are all incredibly old. All the people who are part of this bomber squadron are incredibly old. And they're only, you know, in their 30s. And despite what some of the kindergarten kids may tell you, 30 is not old. Okay, 30 years, really, trust me on this, that's not even a perspective thing. It's just flat. That's not old. But according to Dunbar, it is because they're facing death every single day that they fly these missions. And from his perspective, and I'm inclined to agree with this, you don't get any older than right before you die, a long life or a short life when you're facing the end of it. Well, that's got to be as old as any of us can get. Different way to look at it. Now, he extended his life as much as possible by going to the most boring briefings that he possibly could. You know, if he were living here among us today, he'd, he'd go to the DMV every day, right, and just wait in line get to the front of the line, and then just go back and get in the end of it again because it makes time seem like it's going on so very long. Now, all these ways, they all have a little bit of truth in them, I think, but none of them are really the whole story. So it probably doesn't surprise you too much that we're going to go to the Bible to try and get the whole story. Um, And when we do that, uh, it's going to be Psalm 90, 
By the way, if you want to go there, you can, uh, you can check out SGJ, SGJ, no, that's the website. St. John the Live Event, if you have the, uh, the, your iPhones, if you're going to use the, um, the Bibles in front of you in the pews, I think it's 588, but Psalms is right in the middle, um, right in the middle of our Bible. And uh, that's if you have your own, if, uh, again, if you're using the, the Bibles in the pews in front of you, we'll also have them up here on the screen. But I want to point out, as I do, that... Um, when we go to the Bible, I don't want you to think of it, because I don't think of it in this way, as if it were just another source where we may or may not find truth, just like some of these other sources. Because you may find truth in literature, in philosophy, in other religions. There may be elements of truth, but the Bible is more than just part of the story. You know, God's Word is the complete truth. He embodies truth. And so His Word to us is going to be the ultimate source, the truth, not part of the truth or version of the truth. So we'll go to Psalm 90. We pick it up at verse 10. Uh, Psalm 90, by the way, was written by Moses. Most of us uh, think of David when uh, we think of the Psalms, and David was responsible for either writing a lot of the Psalms or some of them are probably attributed to him. But we have some that are from unknown authors and a couple from Moses, which uh, kind of not, not the person you think of, when you think of Psalms. But let's see what Moses has to say in this prayer book of the Bible. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Well, this is kind of depressing, isn't it? I don't know why Hallmark doesn't have a, a card series with this message on it. You know, this isn't much of a greeting. In fact, I told you it was Moses, but you might have thought, if you didn't know anything else, this sounds like uh, Solomon, the guy who did the series, or uh, we did the series on Ecclesiastes. Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. Just kind of depressing. For the young people here, you might think that Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh wrote this, right? Our years come to but 70 or 80. It's just, it's depressing. And yet, I don't think any of us would deny the truth here. Because we're all living limited lives. And even if we live to be 70, 80, 90, really when you look back on it, and you know this as you get older, the time has a funny way of speeding up. As we get older, it doesn't really come to much. Life is pretty quick. And Moses juxtaposes this. He, he, he sets this off with the, our short lives and then he follows it with, with words that are kind of, I don't know, even disturbing when he talks about the anger of God. And I don't think he means literally that God is just mad and wrathful, this, this image a lot of us have of the Old Testament. I think what Moses is getting at here is the justice of God, the power of God, the divinity of God. And that theme is going to continue throughout this where we're compared with Almighty God. In fact, the, the psalm begins, verse 2 right here, before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You hear this at funerals sometimes, and it's comforting because at funerals we're brought face to face with our own mortality. We know that our years are going to be limited. That's not news. The news is, and the good news is, that before we were here, stretching out to infinity, God was here. And after we all die, 
God will continue to exist from everlasting to everlasting. You're a God. It also sets up the fact that God is creator. Before you brought the heavens and the earth, before we were ever here at all, you have existed, God, because you're creator. And that makes us creatures, the created. And this relationship is a proper way to interface, to, uh, to have a relationship with God, to remember who he is by remembering who we are. Well, Moses continues with this same theme and asks, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, I'm going to come back to this in a little bit, but the theme that's building here is not just this relationship between what God is and what we're not, but the nature of of this relationship. Now, I said before, you, you kind of perceive God as this vengeful, wrathful God, and there's a little bit of, of truth in that because he is a righteous judge, and, you know, we, we've confessed our sins. We know that we are not good people, and yet it's his love that makes life here worthwhile. And you'll see that in these next verses where the poetry and the Psalms really starts to kick in because Moses is going to bounce back between, between the trouble of today and the peace that God's love brings us. So let's take a look at these next verses and pay attention to the tension here. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. You see the tension? The trouble in this world, but the love of God that makes us able to deal with that trouble. He wants God's deeds to be seen by both him and by his children. And think about, again, who's writing this. This is Moses. Think about what he's seen. He's seen the ten plagues of Egypt. He's seen the Red Sea parted and all the, the uh, Israelites cross. He had a hand in that. He's been in the desert when God has led them by a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud in the day. He's seen God miraculously provide food. Their clothes didn't even wear out in the desert, and he provided them water as well. And all these things, especially from Moses' perspective, are due to God's love. So physically, God has made their lives bearable, but spiritually he's done that as well. Because as hard as things got, well, we still had God's love to see us through. And so Moses concludes with this point. Verse 17 reads, May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. There's at least a couple ways you can look at this, I think. The first would be to ask God to sort of establish our legacy, right? If, if we were the president of the United States of America, we'd be praying, God, let my presidential library be bigger than any of these jokers who came before me. You know, because I'm that important. If we were architects, we would say, God, this, this bridge that I built, this building that I, uh, I planned out, let it last forever and ever and ever. But I don't think that that is the way to read this because that's not what the rest of the psalm is talking about. We go back to that proper relationship between the creator and the created. So rather than say, God, please let the things that I have done 
be the things that last forever and ever and ever. Instead, what he's asking is, God, please give me good works to do. Provide things for my hands to do that are worthwhile, that are eternal. And lo and behold, God does that for us. Paul talks about it in Ephesians, that it's not enough, even though it really is enough, that God comes and restores relationship with us. But in addition to that, he says, won't you come along beside me and do these good works that I provided for you to do? Now, some of you may be kind of sniffing out a little bait and switch here. You know, maybe you came here and you're thinking, oh, we're going to get the secrets of long life. And now he's talking about good works that I have to do. How did this happen? Maybe looking over your shoulder to see if I've got some volunteers in the back who are going to be selling you timeshares on your way out. But that's not what St. John is about. That's not what I'm about. So in the interest of sticking to the point and staying with the title, I've prepared three different secrets for long life that I'd like to share with you now. Although I'll have to admit, you may want to consider them keys to long life because they may not actually be secrets. So, secret key number one, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Exercise, eat right. And you're thinking, these aren't secrets at all. Well, in a way, you're right. In a way, you're right. Except, how often do you hear this in church? You know, in church, you may think this is actually a secret because we don't talk about our bodies in church. We talk about your spiritual life, right? We talk about building up your soul, your, your spirit, your prayer life, right? Your devotional life, all these kinds of things. And sometimes we do that where it seems like it's at the expense of our bodies. Don't pay attention to your body. That's, that's not you. Who you really are is just the spirit that's living inside your body. But that's not true. We're created to be both body and spirit. And that's, that's what it means to be human. This is part of the reason that death is a tragedy, because we were meant to be eternal. And yet, we die, and our spirits and bodies are separated. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. So ultimately, this comes down to stewardship. I know when you hear that word stewardship, what most of you think of is money, because that's normally what people talk about when they talk about stewardship. But it's really more a philosophy, a theology to live your life by. When it comes to money, we only give what God has given us first through the way that God's gifted us mentally, physically, whatever, however he's given us talents. But the same thing is true of the rest of our lives. We only have as much time as God has given us. And our very lives are really a gift from God. And so taking care of our bodies, well, it not only can add years to your life, it adds life to your years, right? And so the way that we serve God in the works that he's given us, we do that with more energy. We do that with more enthusiasm. We do that with more power. It just, it's a gift that keeps on giving. Take care of yourself. That brings me to my next point, though. Pour yourself into the things that will outlast you. This is kind of a way to cheat death, isn't it? The next generation, we talk about that at uh, St. John all the time. A way to, to keep on living, even after you've died, is to live your faith in ways where next generations, other generations, people who will be here after we're gone, are influenced positively by your faith and the life you live, the things that you do. It doesn't matter even if you have kids or not, because everybody knows someone who's younger than them. And the more people 
that you positively impact through your faith, through your belief, through your life, then the more chances there are that what you do will outlive you. We'd mentioned earlier, St. John is, what, 163 years old? This is a community of believers. And even if one day St. John closes its door for good, St. John is just a church. It's not the church. Because the church, the fellowship of all believers, that's never going to go away. When you put your life into the church, we come together in community, worshiping God, serving God. This is how you're guaranteed to have life even after your life here is over. This is the treasures in heaven that you're storing up that Jesus talks about. And that brings me to my last point. See, everyone gets eternal life. I struggle with the way to phrase this because really it, it may be more accurate to say everyone continues to exist forever. Usually when the Bible talks about eternal life, what it's really talking about is after we die, the way that we exist with God. Because once we die, there's going to be two categories, right? Everyone continues to exist, but the question is, are you with God or are you separated from God? You notice I don't say where we're going to be, heaven or hell. I think separation from God is hell. The real question is, are you with God? Because well, that's, that's heaven. Wherever God is, that's heaven. Now, some of you, most of you, many of you already believe this. So as we're going through the psalm, you can identify with that. You see as Moses is talking about the way that God makes life on earth that can be very hard. He makes it bearable. And frankly, he makes it beautiful sometimes, inspirational. So you're tracking with that. You can even see as we talk about the, the power of God, the justice of God, you say, well, that's true. That is true, but that's not primarily how God reveals himself. Because if it were, that's not very comforting. Is it, like I said, if you had a judge who is all-wise, all-powerful, these are words we barely even understand. We throw them around all the time, but they're frightening words. A God who knows everything you ever thought. A God who continues to make your existence possible because if he, he stopped, we just cease to exist. It can be scary, especially when we know that we're guilty. A righteous judge is only a comfort if you're innocent, and we're not. But that's not the way that God primarily reveals himself to us. The way that he really reveals himself is through his son. Jesus took on flesh and becomes a human being, not because he needed it, not because it benefited him in any way. He did it for us. And he walked with us and he taught us for years. Not for his sake, but for our sake. And he healed people and he blessed people and he fed people. Again, for our sake, not for his. And then finally, he was tortured and he was crucified, and he took on the guilt that we earned, that we deserved, for our sake, not for his sake. And he does that to reveal God's incredible, incredible love for us. When you look at it that way, why wouldn't you want to be with a God like that for all of eternity? Where else would you want to be but with a God who loves you that much? But now I said 
I said some of you, most of you, I, I kind of struggle with that because I don't really know, frankly, how many people who hear this message, both here, online, wherever, how many of you actually believe that? Because the odds are some of you aren't quite convinced. Either who Jesus is, who Jesus is to you. You may think, well, I'm here by coincidence. You know, maybe somebody invited me, a family member, a friend. They told me they'd buy me lunch afterwards, so I'm really here just for the lunch. Don't buy that. Coincidence, there is no coincidence. Coincidence is a word that people use when they don't know that other people have made plans. God has plans for you. You may feel some kind of stirring inside when I'm talking about this because God creates faith through his word and we've heard the word of God today. Don't ignore that. There are no coincidences when you believe in a God who is in control of everything and who pursues you and who loves you. So if you're feeling that today, you're in the right place. I'd encourage you to come back next week. I'd encourage you to keep putting yourself in positions where you hear God's word and let him generate that faith in you and grow that faith in you. I'd encourage you to talk to him. It's what we call prayer. In fact, let's talk to him now. Would you please rise and let me pray for you. Let us go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for the faith that is in this room, whether it is the size of a mustard seed, whether it has grown through a life, a long life that you have provided as we've walked with you. It doesn't matter because your son Jesus has taught us that the smallest of faith accomplishes amazing, astounding things. God, I thank you for this day. This is a day that you didn't promise any of us. And tomorrow, well, that's not a promise either, God, but if we are here tomorrow, we take comfort because you will be here as well. You promised to walk beside us for as many days as you have given us. I thank you for that, and I ask that in those days, as you walk beside us, that you grow our faith, that you prepare those works for us to do, and that you bless others through the way that you have blessed us. Amen.